I'm still like suffering from sort of like active trauma. You know what I mean? When it comes to like how heartbreaking it was that like, why is this news to you? You know what I'm saying? And why do I have to explain these things? Dang, when we were nerding out about Spurgeon, like we were all friends. And I'm like, all of a sudden I'm black. You know, I was black the whole time, right? You know, it's easy to get angry. And I have to know that like, that's what I bring to the cross. I have to bring that anger to the cross. Hey everybody, welcome to The Calling. My name is Richard Clark and I am the online managing editor for Christianity Today. I'm here, as always, with Morgan Lee, co-host of our other Christianity Today podcast, Quick to Listen. Hey everyone, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Quick to Listen sort of like in-between hosts right now. We are. Last week was Caitlin Beatty's last episode, so I encourage everyone who has enjoyed my run with Caitlin and who enjoys the dynamic when Richard comes on too to come listen to our behind-the-scenes podcast from yes. last week. So check that out, and then there'll be like a fun little drama playing out of like, oh, who, who's going to be the next host? And we'll have guest hosts in the meantime. Tweet at us. Yeah, tweet at us. Tell us who you think should be the next host. Richard and I love being tweeted at it. We will not accept Carrot Top as a possibility. We already tried. Okay. Today on the podcast, we're talking to Propaganda. Remember when we had his wife on the show, Alma? On Quick to Listen? On Quick to Listen. So you can hear Alma's Argosa Petty on the episode that is about immigration and Trump. She was very good on that episode. So Propaganda, he's pretty good in his own right. He's a rapper, spoken word artist, and uh, his latest album is called Crimson Chord. It's a really good album. And he's currently on tour with Show Baraka. So Show Baraka and Propaganda are doing some sort of conversation tour that they're going to launch later this month. I think they have about seven different dates before Election Day, and they want to talk about some of the difficult issues facing our country. And it seems, at least from how they've hyped it online, that they want to figure out a way how to get the crowd or the audience involved. Good stuff. So today on our website, we have a really fascinating article about technology and the church. And it's one of those articles that really looks at both of them from a 10,000 foot level yeah, and talks about how technology is kind of affecting the way that we worship God, the way that we interact with community. I think there's a, there's a quote from Billy Graham kind of wrestling with this and suggesting that we still need to be wrestling with it as Christians. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that article is in the latest issue of Christianity Today. You can get Christianity Today for uh, the low price of $10. We had a record number of subscriptions yesterday. In terms of number of subscriptions in a day through the podcast. No way. Yeah, we had a record set. Thanks, listeners. So that was exciting. You can uh, help break the record again for only $10. Just go to orderct.com slash the calling to subscribe. You'll be supporting thoughtful, essential journalism and helping us to continue to produce episodes of The Calling. Anyway, here's propaganda. How long have you been with Helmel Beast? Since day one. Uh, it was really a dream of, you know, I, Thomas and myself sitting in a in a uh, coffee shop going, I wish there was a label that would kind of do exactly what we were thinking. Yeah. It's like, well, I guess I guess it means you got to start one. You yeah, know? And, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not like an owner or anything, but like. Sure. But you yeah. were there from the beginning. Yeah. Helping I kind of pushed him to do it. Right. You know, like, because I really just needed somebody to put out my music. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and. uh 
somebody I trusted, you know, believed in. And yeah, yeah. And he was like, I'm not just going to put out your album. Like, if we're going to do it, we're going <laughs> to do it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, at the beginning of every podcast, we ask the same question. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'll ask you, how would you define your calling? Man, you know, realistically, and this is not like a polished, like, answer. Like, realistically, I, I think my calling is the same as every other Christian's calling. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you make much of the, of the cross and the Savior, and you live out the faith that you have mm-hmm. in the arena that you're in. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I think that that arena could be in the home, your vocation with your friends, you know what I'm saying? So like at the end of the day, man, I, I define my calling the same way every Christian defines their calling. You know what I'm saying? Of course, there's uniqueness that has to do with my vocation, but... That would be the arena. Typically. Yeah, that would like, be the arena yeah. part. You know so let's saying? talk about the arena. It seems like the two things that you're most well known for are rap and poetry. Yeah. Those is distinct? They're definitely two different things. Yeah. yeah. How so? Uh, well, rap has rules, like, because it was birthed out of, you know, uh, as an element of hip hop. And there's an element of rock in the party and rhyme and, you know, relating to the context for which it's put in. You know what I'm saying? So rap, like, the best way to compare it is, like, jazz music versus, like, swing, which was, like, you know, the white version of jazz music. You know what I mean? That was kind of, like, separated from its context <laughs> and culture. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, uh, if it's going to be jazz, you know what I'm saying? Jazz got rules. And those rules come out of the sort of sociocultural and historical narrative that birthed it. You know what I mean? It raps the same. Like, there's rules that come with, with rap. One is rhyme. It's the meter. It's the timing, the pocket, the rhythm, and rocking the party. Poetry's different. Poetry has... It's a different aesthetic. I guess another good comparison would be like a sushi roll versus like shashimi. It's different, but it's the same, but it's different. What was the time when you discovered that this sort of rap poetry thing was something you wanted to do? Well, I've always loved hip hop. You know, I've loved hip hop from a very young age. I wrote my first rap probably in in 93. Poetry kind of I discovered in college because I was really just had a crush on a girl. She was a poet. I went to one of her things (laughs) and then was like, this is incredible, you know? Yeah. And, uh, just fell in love with like the activism part of it and the uh, the idea that like you can carry someone's attention for three to five minutes without any music, just without talking. any crowd. Yeah. You just have to write that well. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was like, I, I want to do this. Um, is there money in it? Like, I know there's money in rap, but it doesn't seem clear that there's money in poetry in the same way. Are you interviewing me right now? Yes. There's money in poetry. That's <laughs> you know fair. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So as long as you can build a platform, then you can. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there, yeah, reality is there's money everywhere, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's money to be made in poetry, absolutely. Were you a Christian when you discovered this? Yeah, yeah. So have you always been thinking, like, I can do this as a Christian, I can do this, like, with a, with a God-glorifying bent Yeah, I guess the thought never crossed my mind that I had to choose. Okay. Um, because, you know, just sort of like the L.A. hip-hop scene and the L.A. poetry scene was like one that said, basically, like, you kind of have to have something to say. You know what I'm saying? And if you had something to say and you said it well, you were accepted in the scene. You know what I mean? Like, so there was Rastas, there was uh, Muslims, there was Five Percenters. Like, they were all in the hip-hop scene yeah. or even in the poetry scene. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So you just... It was just kind of expected of you to have something of substance to add to the community. You know what I mean? I just, I just had a Christian lens. That's interesting that you bring that up. All the different belief systems that were sort of like being outright about their beliefs in the rap scene. Yeah, because it. At least I, th- I heard this yesterday from the Cross Movement guys uh-huh. in their panel. They were saying like essentially that was the one as a Christian is the one thing you could you could not do. You couldn't really get away with. It wasn't cool. Well, that was that was on the East. 
Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? That was yeah. a totally like I had on the East Coast. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I had a very different like hip hop experience than they did, which kind of why the music that they made out of there was birthed a little different. Like they were very like, you know, apologetic in in theological in their approach to making hip hop, but that's because of their scene. Out there you had to be like a Muslim or a five percent and you was loud about it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um I didn't have that world. Like we were, you know, in LA it's like, man, the weather's great, you know, mm-hmm. and to be as crude as possible. Like women are beautiful. There's weed everywhere. The weed's great. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like yeah. why do I need to like I don't need to fight with you. Like we're having a great time. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if there was any like hard lines that were to be made, it was in the gang world. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of us rap to like avoid that. You know what I'm saying? So like we were Is that why you rapped? No, I just fell in love with hip hop pretty okay. young. So you didn't have any need to avoid the gang world? Oh I mean, in some senses it's unavoidable. But for me, like I I grew up in a Latino neighborhood. Okay. So like since they were like Mexican gangs, it was kind of not an option. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like there was that, you know, but yeah, there was a time where like, you know, you're in middle school and your friends start like picking their sides, you know, if they red or blue, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, you know, but I was like, well, I'm, I'm kind of into hip hop. You know what I mean? So like it wasn't necessarily an avoidance, if you will, but it was like a, a conscious decision. Like, I think I'm more attracted to this than that. You know what I'm saying? Did you ever get to a point um, after you chose sort of like this poetry rap thing that you felt like maybe this isn't for me? Um, No, but at the same time, I never really had like a twinkle in my eye. Like, a, like I didn't have like stars in my eyes about it. You know, I went to college. I went to graduate school. I was teaching in high school. I got my master's in education. Like I, I did, I was going on with my life. I yep. just loved hip hop. And again, I come from that school of thought that like, if you love hip hop, you love hip hop. And that's where you are. If you rapped, you rapped. No matter what you did for a living, uh, you can rap. You know what I'm saying? So like, I didn't, the idea of it being a career was just like, it wasn't necessarily far-fetched, but I wasn't necessarily pursuing it. I Did just, it ever feel like not very godly? What? The music I was making? Yeah. Or like the the, the whole industry? Well, the yeah, the industry was never godly. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you can let your audience know that CCM ain't no different. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, ain't, uh-huh. it ain't even more or less godly. You know what sure. I'm saying? So, Which is uh, why you started your own Kind label. of. I mean, yeah, that the the label thing was more about like more of an aesthetic and a uh, like sort of two two kingdoms like idea to where like you can exist in hip hop as a whole and in the Christian market like that. We saw that that because that's the the type of like just the world we came from, the type of hip hop we believed in, like that can play in both worlds. And we didn't know of any at the time any uh, labels that were existing in both worlds you know, and were true to their faith per se and true to the culture. It was almost like you had to choose, you know what I mean? So like, we were like, well, we don't want to choose. We want to be true to both, you know what I'm saying? And that's no shade to none of the uh, labels that may have been out there we just didn't know about. We just wanted to be who we were, you know? What role did um, the local church play as you started to come Um, come up in? Well, I grew up in a church where like our pastor, he opened up the brick wall behind our building and we had like legendary like LA graffiti artists like they used to paint the walls all the time we used to airbrush our clothes our like camp shirts were made by like the ninth graders who were like graffiti artists you know what i'm saying like freestyled in the back of the van like our church was so open to like hip hop because this just it's just who we were you know what i'm saying so like i said i didn't all the other stuff that was, you know the shunning of the culture that was bible belt and east coast i just didn't have that experience we we did that and then also like yeah i remember california had like the victory outreach movement where they were doing we know which really affected like sort of the mexican kind of gang culture they were throwing plays you know Mm -hmm. about like 
like legit gang life for real for real so we just went to churches that were plugged into the streets so it seems like you wouldn't have had these sort of assumptions that a lot of people outside of your area that's yeah that's that's what i'm saying that's why i was like i had a totally yeah. different experience than like the what was it like huge. to be confronted with those assu- you must have been confronted at some point later with those on assumptions. yeah 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 i uh I was dumbfounded. Uh-huh. It was I was a deer in the headlights for a while, and then also a deer in the headlights for the perception of West Coast artists. Like, like y'all assumed I didn't know anything about scripture. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. And was insulted. You know what I'm saying? And and then still just that kind of like, even though I wasn't a gangster, I still had enough like L.A. street in me to be like, fool, you don't know me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and like, well, then I'm cool with you. I'm I'm cool on you. Then like, we don't have to be friends. Like, I never met you. How you got all these opinions about who I am and all my friends? I don't know y'all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like, oh yeah, I got I got super defensive. And then after that, I was like, yo, you can miss me altogether. I don't never have to come here. I think you're corny anyway. You know what I'm saying? So like, but that was like my defense, you know? Actually, and, and it was really like Lecrae that uh, kind of broke the ice. You know what I mean? Huh. Sitting down, actually at a legacy in 2009. You know what I mean? He, he was the one that finally sat down with me and Ah Thomas and like him and actually most of the, the Reach dudes, like he just kind of sat down and he, at a Chipotle. He was like, all right, man, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go in. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like, help me understand. I didn't grow up in the church. Like, why, why am I supposed to not like you? You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so there was like, at the legacy conference in 2009, there's East Coast people and West Coast, Coast people. East Coast and Southern people. Yeah. East Coast, Southern people. Uh, and, and me and, and Thomas. Basically, like, and then yeah. you and Thomas, yeah. you were West Coast people. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a there was tension. tension. Yeah. You know, cause we only heard whistling in the wind that like. <laughs> Right. And had no idea any of this was going on. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like, it was like, dang, there's like a lot of y'all. You guys have like albums and fans and what is this? You know what I mean? We just weren't into it. You know is it I mean? different now? Absolutely different. The Reach guys are probably my closest friends. You know what I mean? We've had like a nine year long group text. You know what I'm saying? That What changed so that that problem didn't keep happening? We had to grow up, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and part of it, like I said, was Lecrae breaking the ice and just kind of like being willing to listen to each other. I challenged him on being like, and all of them, like me and Thomas challenged him on being like, man, if you if you just stay in your silo, mm-hmm. what good are you really doing? You know what I mean? You're rallying people that already think like you. How is that helping culture? You know what I'm saying? Um, and he challenged us on some like, okay, chapter and verse. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we're like, what do you mean chapter and verse? Uh-huh. Did anybody ask Dr. King chapter and verse? What are you talking about? He's like, well, they should have. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. So really for us to have like a better apologetic as to like why we thought the way we thought and for him to be like, stop being so legalistic. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like uh-huh. you're a freaking Pharisee right now. You're not helping anybody, you know? Sort of that pushback, you know, for each other, like kind of like really broke the ice. You know what I mean? And, I think it would encourage a lot of people to hear that like those conversations were being take were happening. Like, yeah. Sincere conversations like we need to be better Christians. Yeah. Or not even better Christians, but just like we need to have our head on right Yeah, yeah when yeah. it comes to what we're doing. Yeah. As opposed to, I think a lot of people would assume the conversations would have to do with craft or or nah, business man. or whatever. Yeah, no, nah, it was, I mean, it started there. And then we started talking about craft and just like, you know, but like our aesthetic is just so different that it's like, so in some senses, it's like apple and oranges, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it was those things and a mutual respect for each other that like put us in the van together, you know what I mean? And then eventually I was on the Man Up tour, then I was on the Unashamed tour, and then I went out with Andy, you know what I'm saying? And then show did a song on my record and stuff like that. So we had this sort of cross germination that like, now, like, like I said, like these are our brothers in arms. You know what I mean? Like, we love these dudes. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, "If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican." 
Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. In the time that you've been doing this, what's been your biggest struggle? Like balance, emotional balance of uh, one comparing yourself to to your to your friends, you know what I'm saying, and being like, you know, sort of like salty at their success, and just kind of remembering like, you know, we are brothers. And then secondly, like the biggest challenge is like white evangelical church, like really, oh yeah, you know. So oh, how so? I think um, there was a, a bit of a like disillusionment on my end because, like I said, I grew up in a very multicultural environment very socially aware environment. My father was a Panther, you know what I'm saying? So like, I just, I didn't know anything of this sort of like God and country kind of patriotism, like sort of nationalism that kind of like the, the religious right or like the Christian conservative. I didn't know anything about that. Would you have called yourself an evangelical? I mean, I guess, you know what I mean? Like we, yeah, you know what <laughs> you I'm didn't saying? Really like, think we about didn't it. use those terms. You yeah. Know you call saying? yourself a Christian. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And I, yeah, our church was non-denominational. Like I knew of, you know, once I started studying theology and getting, getting my chops up, that's where it start. I started like being a, a considerably surprised, you know what I mean? At some of like the sort of the walls we were hitting, you know, especially like, and then when like systemic injustice and racism issues started popping up and then I'm kind of being myself, you know what I mean? And then just sort of like, dang, when we were talking about, when we were nerding out about Spurgeon, like we were all friends, you know what I'm saying? Right. Which I feel like what put me on the radar to sort of that world was a poem called Precious Puritans. Certainly, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now yeah. all of a sudden, and I'm yeah. like, you know, they were, you know, they thought that the whole time, like when we were sitting here talking about these things, and I'm like, all of a sudden I'm black, you know what I mean? And right. I'm like, I, you know, I was black the whole time, right? Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. um, so now that I'm talking about it, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, because that that song was literally about you expressing your personal reaction yeah, to you know. people who had had slaves. Yeah. And the feedback was, uh, actually, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a factual correction, which is yeah. an Which was one. still incorrect because right. Right. they did have, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, right. you ain't, yeah. you, like, you don't know your history, right. you know what I'm saying? But then, and then that was symptomatic of a bigger problem, which was you chose not to know that. You know what I'm saying? And that that speaks to the sort of sort of white privilege that existed in that sort of church. You think and, it's choosing though? It's kind of like choosing not it's like it's not an active choice not to know that because it's an unknown known. Right? That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's what I mean by like is a product of privilege. Sure. Because you didn't have to think about it. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. And then when confronted with it, your choice was either to ignore or correct. So that's what I'm saying. That's a product of privilege. A product of privilege means you don't have to think about color. I do though. So the minute you you quote a Puritan, you can just go, man, yeah, that's great. You don't have to think about Puritans in relation to your own ancestors. Uh -huh. You feel me, right? Totally. So like Kuiper, probably one of my favorite Dutch reformers, you know what I'm saying? There's no part of the universe that, you know, God doesn't cry mine over was the same man that said, the black brain is permanently childish and will always need the white man to help him not kill himself. You know what I'm saying? That's the same dude. Yeah. You feel me? So I'm like, <laughs> so, but y'all never had to think about that. You feel me? So like, so that's what I meant by like, it was frustrating or like difficult to remember, okay, these are still my brothers. How did you do that? 
Where are you go from still there? doing that? You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's it's the slow, you know, sort of like chipping away at at that. And the reality of like, in a lot of ways, like I, I'm still like suffering from sort of like active trauma. You know what I mean? When it comes to like how heartbreaking it was that like, why is this? Why is this news to you? You know what I'm saying? And why do I have to explain these things? You feel me? Like, I don't, like, how did you? How did you miss this? Are you really like, you know, you would you would think that like the respite from sort of this nationalistic, like sort of uh, supremacy narrative that we would think the gospel would rescue us from still, whether maybe in an unaware way, still sat, you know what I'm saying, in in the pulpits of my brothers, you know what I'm saying, and my sisters, that was like, you know, it's easy to get angry. And I have to know that like, that's what I bring to the cross. I have to bring that anger to the cross and allow and remember that like Christ has reconciled me even though I've made him angry, you know what I mean? So I need to reconcile with my brothers, you know what I'm saying? And that's like, for 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 like the African-American, that's the cross we bear, you know what I'm saying? In the same way that the cross that, you know, my white brothers and sisters bear is that like, no, you're indicted in these actions. You can't separate you from, you're not innocent. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you have to own that, you know what I'm saying? That's the cross I bear, that's the cross you bear. You There's know? a lot of emphasis on discussion when it comes to this racial, yeah. these racial um, problems. And mm-hmm. I think what people miss is discussion doesn't mean trying to convince one another of Absolutely. Things. So yeah. I think if we come to the table without being like more self-focused than yeah. anything, I, yeah. I just find that to be a lot more productive. It's like yeah. me a- kind of agonizing over what I can, like, I like how you put it, what we can bring to the cross. What yeah. can we sacrifice? What power yeah. can we give up? I think is a really helpful way yeah. of approaching that. Yeah. You know, we don't need to, like, no one needs convincing the sky is blue. Mm-hmm. And if you do, then that's a foolish conversation. You know what I'm saying? So like that, which was, I realized what I was trying to do for a while. Like I was trying to convince you that the sky is blue. I'm like, no, racism is real. Like, what do you, what? You know what I mean? And being like, I don't, I shouldn't, that's not my fight. You know what I'm saying? My fight is, you know, in areas that I can stand for justice, do mercy, walk humbly inside of, you know what I'm saying? In the areas I can do that and in the hearts of people that are willing to listen, I'm going to do it. But you work, I, I think about this a lot because I also work in words. Um, we're the same, <laughs> not really. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> but you work in, in words. And so do you s- struggle over this tension that, so a lot of people say act, don't talk, act, do something. Mm-hmm. Do you sometimes think to yourself, but for me, doing something is saying yeah, I think it's a both and. You know what I mean? I, I try not to uh I try not to make binaries when they don't need to be there. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like so yeah, talking is me doing something, but I am also doing something. You know, I am writing my congressman. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I am like making financial choices that like match, you know what I'm saying, my convictions, you know what I'm saying? Like supporting migrant farm workers, like ordering my produce directly from them, willing to pay extra for it. One thing we do too is at our home, like we pay a lady to clean it. Now, before you get like, oh my gosh, you guys have a, like a house cleaner. No, we actually can't afford it. Huh? I'm supporting a family. You know what I'm saying? So like, I'm, I'm, I, and this family, you know, is supporting a bunch of kids and these people, some of them are undocumented. You know what I'm saying? So these things, this is how, and they're on the process to getting their citizenship. So this is me doing advocacy work with my own pocket. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. That like, you know, it's not on any commercial. Like I, I don't wear that on a t-shirt, you know what I'm saying? But like, I'm, be a good t-shirt. It would be. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like, this is me actually doing the things that I'm saying. When it comes to your work, what is the deepest fear that you have? Probably uh, a that it won't matter or that it's going to go unnoticed, which kind of goes back to like my own wrestle of like, you know, kind of comparing yourself to your friends. One thing we say, we say among the homies, like the, uh, the hardest part about it being ahead of the wave is you never get to ride it. I think for me, just my dedication to like sort of innovation oftentimes kind of 
some ways kind of puts me ahead of sort of trends, if you will. So then I never get to be a part of it. You know yeah. what I mean? So by the time like the world knows about something. All the famous people talking about your legacy. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, but yeah. I never got to enjoy, you know, that spot. And then I'm like, well, why do I need the spotlight? You know what I'm saying? So just like that back and forth. How do you deal with that when you do feel like your your <clears throat> work know. is being ignored? <laughs> I don't know. You know, yeah. I, uh, you know, I take it to the cross, take it to my wife, you know, take it to my friends. You know what I'm saying? And just like, I'm working out my salvation like daily, you know what I'm saying? And that's a part of it. You know? yeah. yeah. Do you struggle with um, making calculated moves so that it's like compromising in some way that so that it's more popular? No. No. I would, part of me would die inside. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I have, I have to be who I am and know that like, yo, this is the role you you played, I keep a list of artists that never won Grammys, like, on my phone, you know what I mean? Just <laughs> to remind some. myself. Well, Jimi Hendrix, for one. That's a good one. Right? Yeah. Uh, Janis Joplin. Okay. You know, uh, Jim Morrison, Tupac, you know, all these, like, culture shapers. Didn't all of those people die early? They did all die early. That's a little disturbing. Yeah, which they all did is disturbing. But um, Morrissey, he never won a Grammy. You know, it's just, like, Katy Perry never won a Grammy, you know what I mean? Like, granted, I don't compare myself to her, but, like, ultimately, these people, like, like they shaped the culture, you know what I'm saying? And never got recognized for it from the structures, if you will, you know what I'm saying? But we all like look back at those things. Like they changed the world. The Roots don't have like a platinum album. Do you want to do you want to be the band on the late show? If you know what, if, if I If you had that offer, would you do it? Of course, because they've like <laughs> I can't think of anything in hip hop they haven't accomplished. So they're yeah. like, now I don't have to tour all the time. That'd be yeah. great. So if you could get into a time machine and go back in time, talk to yourself and say one thing, what would it be? Uh, man, because I spent so I spent my last album talking about how that shouldn't matter, uh -huh. <laughs> like that that all those things were great and on purpose, even though they were terrible. Yeah, uh, the scarlet, yeah, thread. scarlet yeah. thread, the crimson cord, yeah. So like, so I was like, I spent so much time not thinking like that. But um, I guess if I were to not not think like that, probably just don't be so cautious. Like, try stuff. You know what I'm saying? Don't be yeah. afraid to lose money. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, stay out later and just, just go get up and work in the morning. You'll be fine. Huh. Just, just kind of do it. You know what I mean? Because uh -huh. um, for a long time you were doing this on the side. Yeah, or just like I was just so like concerned about like perception and like carrying the 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 torch of like I'm not a statistic. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not this like and like I know I went to college. You know what I'm saying? I'm a smart man. You know I was I went to school for illustration. You know and like intercultural studies. But like as a visual artist, I was like. When I was younger, because of my like fear of not being able to take care of myself, I didn't go as hard as I could have as like an illustrator. I refused to like move back home, sleep on the couch, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I'm gonna figure out another way to do this. But if it don't crack, then abandon ship. But like, there was portfolio days like I didn't go to. There were like jobs I didn't apply to because I was like, there's no way in the world I'm gonna get that. And I need to actually work. Like I need to, I need to make some money, you know what I'm saying? So like, but why not? Why not do both? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Why not apply? You know, I the year I graduated was the year that Disney and Pixar merged. So they fired like 40 or 50% of their illustrators. So I was going against, I was in a job market where dudes with like Mulan and The Lion King was in their portfolio. So I was like, oh, there's no way in the world I could get work. So I just backed out. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, don't back out. Try it. When it comes to the Crimson Cord, the Scarlet Thread, the yeah. things in your life that sort of seemed horrible and bad but that made you who you are today yeah uh what are like some of the key things there that you can think of um i mean yeah that whole album's really about that it's like being in the mexican neighborhood um which i used to you know i got picked on a lot because of that 
You know what I'm saying? But that kept me, like I said, kept me away from gang life. The engagement that didn't work out, you know what I'm saying? Like, had that worked out, I would have never done the tour with De La Soul and KRS One. Had that tour actually cracked the way I was hoping it would have, I would have never hit rock bottom and reached out to Thomas to start a label. You know what I'm saying? Had I never reached out to Thomas to start a label, we wouldn't be doing this interview. You know what I'm saying? So like those those failures. Why did you hit rock bottom at that point? Well, because I thought that was it. I put that. I put my eggs in that basket. Like, okay. You're on tour with De La Soul. Like, and KRS-One, like, they were hip-hop royalty. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And then... And, like, not, not and a lot And then it didn't start it. a career. You yeah. know what I mean? And I was yeah. like, okay, well, I guess I got to get this on my own merits. You know what I mean? Which was, like, a great thing. It made me go, oh, okay, so I need to, I need to write a record. And I need to go tour. You know, it's not like you need to play shows with 10 people at all on the wall. There's no shortcuts. So that attitude, like, there's no shortcuts was, like... That's what I needed. You've been listening to The Calling. Propaganda is a rapper and a spoken word artist. His latest album is Crimson Chord. You can follow him on Twitter at PropHipHop. And remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps us a lot. The Calling is produced by Cray Allred. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0.